1: You'll find us here
0: Moving iron Hello and welcome to the Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire would like to give all the loyal listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast a free Alliance-branded baseball cap. So if you're interested in getting one of those, check out marketing at axontire.com and they will uh, send you out a free one. So just go to marketing at axontire.com, give them your details, and they will send that to you. Make sure you tell them the Moving Iron podcast sent you. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. For more information, call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You could even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. There for a minute, AgDirect had, uh, had a whole new product to help people buy their, <laughs> buy their stuff. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he's nice enough to come on the podcast a couple times a week to talk about what's going on. Sean has made it back from the great Northwest. Into that tropic warm weather of Florida that he just he longs for every time he leaves. So, Sean, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing good. Glad to be home, and um, you know, back into my uh, my style of uh, of, of climate.
0: So. <laughs> it is your style, that is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, a lot of stuff going on here. Um, take a look around, see what's happening. You know, we talk about uh, just you know, last. Tuesday, or Tuesday, last, this last podcast was on Tuesday, we talked quite a bit about, you know, wheat, what we saw happening there, and, you know, lo and behold, um, you know, wheat market ran ran up, you know, on Tuesday and Wednesday, and we're, we're still looking at that, waiting for that last bit of information to come in to really kind of give that boost as to what, what's going to happen and what is happening with the wheat market, so... A lot of stuff moving there. We talked about, you know, corn and soybeans and what that looks like with the uh, the lack of planting happening in the uh, corn belt. One thing we really haven't touched on much is what's going on with cotton, and cotton seems like right now, in the United States anyway, uh, it seems to be one of those crops that still has, uh, it's on pace, Means like conditions are, are pretty good in the deep south where cotton's grown, but if you bounce over to Australia, I was talking to a friend of mine over there, uh, Tim Short, over there uh, this morning via email, and which is probably like you know, whatever, seven days ahead or whatever it is over there, they, they were, uh, they're having a lot of trouble right now with, with really, really wet conditions and getting crop out of the field because it's harvested right now. So I guess talk about cotton a little bit and what you see happening and how those two dynamics are working with each other. Oh,
1: one thing that's been plaguing uh, corn and spring wheat's been the wet weather in the northern plains. One thing that's allowing the planting in cotton to do well is that it's been so dry in uh, texas now that's good to a point that you can make good planting progress but at some point you know you do need to get some moisture or else the planting it's all for naught. It, right it's all for naught. Yep. so and that that still continues to be a big supporter is that west texas 35 40 percent of production still not catching the rains and uh you so now you know you get in the ground and now it's it's you know they got a, a window that the rains need to um fall if they're going to actually produce something on that dry land now now in australia the current weather pattern has been extremely wet and they they have a good crop Uh, but now it's a question of quality you know what kind of you know because you the the two things about cotton is how much are you going to have and how much of the good quality cotton are you going to have because there's a big differential between you know your normal quality and high quality cotton is a big differential of what people are willing to pay, and so what's going on there now is they have a big crop, but you know now that the, the quality is being reduced, in which means their revenue is being reduced because a lot of that cotton they're now going to be harvesting. Not that it's not usable, it's just not going to be usable to the same extent, which means they're going to get a lower price, and so that's really plaguing uh, them right now. And I and I don't think that's going to go away. It looks to me like we still have a very wet patterns set in place for the next, you know, thirty days to sixty days. I don't really see that pattern going away. And so what it means is they're gonna have a lot of cotton, but they're gonna have a lot less higher quality cotton than they were anticipating.
0: Okay. So. so right now as you look at the cotton price right now, it's it's a it's a dollar forty five. I don't know. It's been a it's been a while. I don't know if it's ever I've ever seen it that high, to be honest with you. Um, since I've been tracking commodity prices. So I guess Talk about what's influencing that price right now. I mean, that's that's a really high price. Well, a
1: year ago, China, for whatever reason, decided they wanted to buy
0: everything, everything, yeah.
1: and they bought every bale of cotton that. And, and we have very good quality cotton here. And they, the working theory was that because they have low quality cotton over there, they need the high quality cotton from us to blend in, to then make the cotton products, and then ship back to us. Um, and because of the labor laws there, where they let a bunch of unraised children operate in very difficult conditions um, and that the EU and the U.S. decided that we're, we were, were not going to buy cotton products that were made from child labor. You know, they were also forced to buy more foreign cotton so that they could use that and then sell it back to us. So, 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 so they, they went and bought all that cotton, took it off the market. Uh, and remember last year we had a cool, wet South. Mm-hmm. It was cool and wet all season long. And, you know, cotton is a hot crop. It likes hot weather. Um, and it was cool and wet. And, and it, it, the yields were down um, and the quality was down. It was a, We talked about this yep. late developing last year. And, and so uh, so that, once again, took more production off than was expected. And then, of course, now this year, of course, with the drought in West Texas, it's adding more insult to injury. Um, then there's worries over India. Um, there's been some pretty dramatic reductions in India's ending stocks, uh, due to a couple of bad years of weather, and and uh, and they're starting. It looks like they're starting to restrict or put in some export taxes to keep cotton from leaving the country. And so you put it all together um, with inflation fears, and that's how you get your dollar forty, dollar fifty price, you know that we've been at. Um, I don't think the demand's going to hold up, Casey. Everything I see, all the economic indicators that I see says that economic activity across the board across the world is declining, which means people are going to buy less clothes than they did before. At some point that's going to come back and bite the cotton market um, in the backside and, and cause a air pocket. But for right now, mother nature is still the number one priority, uh, and we have yet to really fully trade that. Once we do, there could be considerable downside on the other, you know on the other side of this equation here
0: Fair so on. okay. All right, let's jump over and talk about what's going on um, in the natural gas market. Natural gas is still on the rise. Obviously, tensions or tensions, not tensions anymore. Ukraine and Russia—the situation you see there—that's um, that's, you know, a lot of European countries stepped away from Russia. to Say hey, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna try to find our natural gas from other places. Um, you got all kinds of things going on there. Plus, you know, throw fertilizer on top of that, and natural gas prices are um, are very high right now. So I guess as you look at that. And you've had those, you've had these different predictions that you see out there for natural gas. What's your thoughts there, and are you still on that same path?
1: Well, as you know, a year ago we predicted that we thought natural gas would trade over seven dollars by April. Um, It was a function of of these escalating LNG exports. Plus, we thought we were going to have a very late ending winter, that would create um, a lot of extra demand, and it would draw down the storage stocks, to levels that would worry the market. And we saw that We've, we actually saw the market go almost, almost nine, just shy of nine before having this kind of, you know, correction here. Um, and we what we're worried about Casey is we're not getting production growth right now, like we would expect or have expected to see in the past, meaning that the rate of growth of, of U S production is slow. It's actually on the, it's actually down in the last 30 days. We can believe that with these high prices. So so the lack of investment, the disinvestment, the fossil fuel are all bad people and we have to put them all out of business. That whole mantra is put the situation where it doesn't look like they can turn the spigot on right away. And the market's looking at where we are with star stocks. How much are we going to be able to build come the fall? And this large continued increase in LNG exports overseas and... The market's worry. They're trying to give even a greater signal to the producers. Hey, go, go put that money to work. Go drill that well. You know, I, know we, I know we told you a year ago, so we don't want you, but now we do. But you know, it's not a snap your fingers thing. I think we need to go through another cycle of high prices before we're going to see that happen. And right. so that means we're very vulnerable going into the fall. And I still think there's a possibility that natural gas prices, especially if we have an early start, or some early cold weather, you know, or colder fall than normal, which I'm, I'm, I'm expecting we will see, you know, we can have, we can have prices make new highs uh, based upon that scenario. And so, you know, I would view the co- a correction now that, that's typical as we move into the early summer, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a pause um, on a way to, to much higher prices still.
0: So. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yesterday, well, I've been reading, you know, you read a million reports today about, you know, food prices and increasing um, food destabilization. And a lot of it points back to what's going on in, in Russia and Ukraine and getting stuff out of the Black Sea. Uh, uh, Zelensky yesterday talked about how, you know, they need to be able to get their, their crop out of the Black Sea and, you know, let tell Russia to back off so we can do that. Because they had, what it was, eight, four, $8.4 billion worth of of wheat to get, they can push out and those kind of things. Um, I get, I, in your opinion, Sean. And we've talked about this before. Looking at the rice situation and the wheat situation, we've talked about that. I guess looking at what's going on right now, how how do you how do you expect to see this um, this food destabilization, this this food um, supply chain thing? until russia and, and Ukraine are, are done having a war is, is, it's going to be hard to get f- that amount of food pushed around the world that they can actually that people can actually get what they need i mean is that is that a fair statement
1: well if you, th- if you think what this is forcing it's forcing everybody else to figure how can we grow more wheat right. how can we make up the difference right and they will make up the difference not right away but the, the, the problem I see longer term, Casey, is that so let's say let's say this thing can, goes on for another year, and you know it's whatever. You know, just, it's just we stay in this just, this state of where we're just not going to get a lot of stuff out of Ukraine. Okay. Well, everyone else is going to have these high prices. Everyone else is going to start figuring out how to do it, and then I, you know, the the next crop cycle after this one, we could have huge production growth in wheat outside of Ukraine, and then whenever they do finally decide, it's time to you know come together and hand-in-hand, heart-to-heart, and, and they're able to get stuff out of there, and Ukraine gets back online, and, and, and of course they're going to get back to producing a ton. of wheat. We could have quite a glut um, if you're looking further out. Right. So, so, so I, I actually look at a, a, a situation where what is super bullish now, for let's say for the next year, could be incredibly bearish um, two years from now. Because now you're not going to tell the rest of the world that just fired up new production to go, go back and take it back off. It doesn't work that way. Once you put it in, you're going to keep right. doing it. And, and so we, we, may, we may be creating a monster here of wheat production from which it will be very hard to come out of for a while. And so that's the longer term thing I think about is you know, what does all this mean? It just means too many people growing wheat on top of the number of people that were already growing it. Um, and, uh, and, and, we could have an extended period of just too much wheat for a while, but that's not today. That's not a quarter from now. We still have a lot of problems ahead, but that's, that's the other side of this equation. One, when, when eventually, I mean, I don't believe Ukraine production will be offline forever. I do not believe that. I mean, at some point, whatever happens will happen and, and, and whoever's controlling it will control it, but that supply will come back online.
0: All right, yeah. So we have got a lot of issues there that have to uh, have to get figured out. Because that, that was uh, that was my very next question. Is so, what happens when the rest of the world jumps in the, and says, "All right, we're going to totally retrofit our infrastructure and we're going to grow more wheat, than so we can offset this stuff for our needs." And then, you know, but you still have countries like Egypt and those places like that where growing wheat is going to be an issue. But they're still going to be heavily dependent upon the amount of. Of exports they can get and or imports they can get. So right now, remember as as
1: as we're moving away from La Nina, and we're going to move into more of an El Nino pattern in twenty three twenty four. You know that tends to produce big wheat crops. Right. And so on top of having more people growing wheat, putting infrastructure in, putting investment dollars in, now you're going to have some really really good weather. Yep. And and so yeah, I mean we, we we could be looking at a at a big. I'm not saying it's a, it's it's you know it's, it's bad for humanity, but in terms of the producer, you know, we could be looking at a situation where v- many many of those people that just came into the wheat market may be underwater very yep. very quickly because they're coming in at a high price. Right. The guys that have been always growing wheat, you know, you know that they have a certain you know long term buy in that, that's different than somebody coming in brand new and paying all these high prices. Now all that new production could be underwater in a hurry. So it it's a dangerous game for those that are going to uh no pun intended, play Russian roulette with um you know job. with with, with putting with putting new new production in. So
0: all right. <coughs> I like your pun there. That was good. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's take a look at uh what's going on over in the cash uh, or over in the cattle and hog markets. Um, you know we saw some big demand and now we've seen some some tightening of that demand from the from the packers I guess as you look at the cattle market Sean as we head into this peak grilling season and, and we're going to grill, you know, $22 steaks. I mean what, what are your thoughts there?
1: Well, obviously the China lockdowns don't help. Right. Demand for pork, demand for beef, demand for chicken, it's not good in the short run. Now, now the flip side of that like we talked last time that when they reopen, it's going to be an enormous amount of demand. So sure. we're we're sort of in this a bit of an air pocket here. And I don't care who you are, but you know, you go to the store, you go to a restaurant and you start looking at what you're paying for steak. Even those that can still afford it, you know, you're going, Hmm, maybe not. You know, I mean, there's just starting to get to a level where even the people that have the means are just saying, maybe I'm not going to do that right now. And so, you know, Grilling season and burgers, I mean, I still think that's going to happen. But, you know, look, there's some demand issues that are going to be showing up here in the near run. And, the, and I think that's one of the drivers why um, cattle prices and hog prices have been get hit pretty hard. Now, of course, on top of that, you have this crazy high corn price um, that's making it unprofitable. And so they're liquidating the herd. You have this ongoing drought out west, no hay, uh, no alfalfa. You know, it's just the final phase. You have all these animals that are going to continue to come to the market at a time. Demand is going to start pulling back. It's just, it's a setup for a tough period here for the next couple of months. Now, if I'm correct about the feed price coming down substantially, and I'm correct about China coming back online, the demand will start to surge later later in the summer and the fall. And the economics of growing animals will start to improve herd liquidation stops and then we're sitting with very few animals historically to come to the market and then if prices start to go up based upon that like they typically do and they become super profitable then then they're going to start retaining animals for herd growth which means even less animals are coming to the market so I kind of view it that we're in this final liquidation phase in the livestock sector that's going to lead to a typical post bull market grain market rally 2 years after you know that's that's okay. that's how the herd liquidation herd rebuilding cycle works 10 11 12 versus 13 14 you know grains went up then the the, the livestock went up and that's where i think we are yeah. is we're in this final bottoming phase the set up in late 2023 uh 22 into you know early 2024 big move in the livestock sector so i guess what i'm trying to say is Tough sledding for, for a few more months, but I do think some really profitable times are coming for producers if they're able to uh, you know, get through this rough patch.
0: Fair so. Okay. All right, man. Well, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that?
1: Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information on there to let people See what we do, and if we could be of value to your listeners.
0: Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with the Movement Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions of the Movement Iron Podcast. Also go to movementironllc.com for everything related to the Movement Iron Podcast. You can find the information there for the Movement Iron Summit coming up on uh, September 6th, 7th, and 8th in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, If you're interested in coming to that, any dealer, it doesn't matter who you are, come check it out. Uh, Well worth your time. Sean's going to be there, and he's been giving his uh, his little rundown of what he sees happening for 23. Check me out on uh, LinkedIn as well on the Moving Iron Podcast, and if you want to uh, really see what Sean looks like, check him out over on the uh, YouTube channel. That's the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. You can uh, do that there and go there, subscribe, and like they always say, smash the like button. So... um, that's what my kids always say. Anyway, and
1: remember, but... remember, kids, everyone has to remember the alphabet because we're going to be talking about PDO, AMO, yeah. IOD, yeah. A- and so we're going to be throwing all T S A, we're mm-hmm. throwing all kinds of stuff out there. Mm-hmm. So just be ready.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, he has a decoder ring that you can bring that he has when he starts this thing, and you can turn that thing around and he starts talking, uh-huh. and you know exactly uh-huh. what he's saying. So it'll it'll be great. Now it's a good good wealth of information, um, a lot of good information there, and you know so I'm looking forward to that, Sean. Um, with that, Sean, I guess, talk a little bit about what you see happening this going from 23, to 24 briefly here, or 22 to 23. I'm sorry.
1: Big power change uh, going to El Nino pattern, uh, much, much wetter, cooler weather for North America, South America, much bigger production for grains, um, rebuilding inventories for grains, um, kind of putting the. The um, the food scarcity worry for, for temporarily back in the bottle, um, but drought problems in Africa, drought problems in India, drought problems in Asia. So you, you're shifting the risk over to there. And the problem with that is where people tend to have more shortages of food on a regular basis, that's where the problems of the weather are going to be. So things like rice... Um, and places that desperately need good production are going to come up short. And so so the, huma- the humanitarian crisis overseas actually is worse during El Nino, even though prices um, uh, for other for a lot of that markets come down because we grow more of it. It doesn't mean they have more of it over there. And so right. so that's the kind of thing that's going to be a big shift. And Australia, we talked about Australia earlier, that have been dealing with a lot of wet weather for the last several months. They're going to go into drought. Yeah. um and and that means a very big change in their prolific production they've seen and uh, and the producers there need to be ready yeah. so
0: okay well just listen to the moving iron podcast and sean will tell you we'll direct you down that that path so check that out all right sean well with that i am casey seymour with sean hackett let's go move iron, folks out axon tire is going to have more tips tricks and client advice throughout the year and in september at the moving iron summit in nashville If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com.